Morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm just going to open the laptop here, if that's okay. I'm not on BBC Sport. No, it's just notes for the morning. That's all it is. I can promise you that. It's great to be here again. What a great weekend. I've loved being with you. Really, genuinely have loved being with you. And um, the team that have come up last night and Friday night that were with me are just so encouraged. Do you know what? It's really done them good as well to be able to come and serve and pray. They've just left so encouraged um, by being able to hear God and bring things for you guys, but also just to see what God is doing here. And um, we've, I think we've had a good weekend, haven't we? It's been good. And um, I don't know all of your stories. Obviously, I don't know whether you've been coming here for years or maybe you've just started coming to church. I don't know whether you would call yourself a believer in Jesus or whether you're an explorer or whether you'll go through a season of doubting or whether you've just come along with someone this morning. I, I don't know any of those things. I don't know all of you well, but I do know this. I believe God is good and I believe he's with us and I believe he has things to say to us this morning and I'm very excited to be looking at that. And um, does anyone have any idea what book we might be looking at in the Bible this morning? Ephesians, absolutely. If you have a Bible, you may want to turn to Ephesians. We're going to look at some things there today. I don't know, like I said, I don't know where everyone's at this morning. Some of you, I guess, may be just wondering if Christianity is true, if any of these claims that we're making are grounded in reality. Um, it's interesting, as we look at this book to the Ephesians, um, we just need to remember this was written to real people in a real place at a real time, a, a place called Ephesus. It's a place I've actually visited. The ruins of um, Ephesus, ancient Ephesus, are still there today. It's in Turkey, near Izmir. And um, it's just a, a remarkable thing to walk around the ancient ruins of Ephesus. Anyone been to Ephesus here? A uh, few people. It's just remarkable because what we read in the Bible, the places um, that we read about, you're walking on those very streets. So in the book of Acts, it talks about the fact that there was a riot in Ephesus because the Christians were having such an impact in the city. It was actually impacting the trade of the city and all the tradesmen went on riot. And it says they rushed to the amphitheater in Ephesus and um, they protested against this new Christian church. Well, I've sat in the amphitheater in Ephesus. So there's an interesting thing when people make this claim that the Bible is made up and it's all fantasy, when it's actually rooted in archaeological evidence that you can actually go and visit today. You can see it. Google um, Ephesus, the ancient ruins, when you get home. It's vast and it completely correlates with everything the Bible says about the city. So this was written, a letter to a real place, um, real people, a church living in a hard place to be a church, actually. Lots of other influences and pagan and cults and recultic practices and a place of influence and commerce. And we've been looking over this weekend at a couple of the prayers that Paul prayed. So Friday night, just to recap in case you missed some of the weekends. Friday night, we saw in chapter one how Paul prayed. Uh, of all the things he could have prayed for this church, he prayed that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation would come to them, that they may know God better. That's what his primary concern for the church, was that they may know God. We're called to a relationship. And if I was to pray one thing for Crawley Community Church, it would be this. Oh, that you guys would know God better. 
whether you're just beginning your Christian faith or whether you've been a Christian for decades, the prayer is the same because there is so much more to know of the goodness of God. Oh, that you may know God better. You may know the hope to which he's called you, the inheritance that you have and the power that is available to us who believe. That was, that was the first prayer that we looked at in chapter one. And then last night we looked at his prayer in chapter three where he's talking about the spirit coming to strengthen us with power in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And Paul is praying, what I really want for you guys is to know that Jesus wants to take up residence in your life. He wants to be in your hearts and he's praying that they may know this incredible love of God that having been rooted and established in love, they may somehow grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God. And again, I would pray that for you because I want your lives to be rooted in the love of God. And you know what? There is so much more of the love of God for us to discover because it's so high and wide and long and deep and to know this love. And then we get to the verses I want to focus on today. Ephesians 3 verse 20 to 21, and it's coming to the end of that second prayer. And really, Ephesians is almost like in two halves. The first three chapters are all about this incredible gospel. Then the second three chapters, four, five, and six, are all about how to live this out. And at the end of this, he he prays this. Now, verse 20 to 21. To him who is able, to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What an amazing couple of verses. eh? Just let's read that slowly again. Verse 20 especially. Now to God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. What an immense idea. That God is able to do more than we can ask him or that we could even imagine that he can do, according to the power that is at work within us. So remember, he's just been praying that they may grasp this love that is beyond knowledge. And he's been praying that God would fill them with the fullness of God and that God would strengthen them in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And now he says, now he's able to do everything I've just asked. He's able. He's actually able to do far more than I've just asked. He's actually able to do far more than you can even imagine you could ask. That's the God that we come to. And sometimes I think we read this and think, oh, maybe Paul's just getting a little bit excited. You know what I mean? Maybe he's just getting, he wants to encourage this church. And no, no, Paul isn't into exaggeration here. He's not just saying things to excite the church. He is 100% utterly persuaded and, and convinced that God is able to do what he has just asked. Convinced of it. He's persuaded that God is able to do more than we could even ask or imagine. I wonder, are we as convinced of that as Paul is? God is not only powerful, he is generous. He's abundant. Don Carson says to think of God in any other way is to demean his character. To think of God in any other way other than this abundant, able God who's able to fulfill everything we ask or imagine is to demean his character. Now let's just reflect on that. Think about anything that you may ask God for, okay? 
Now, just let me just give a caveat on that, okay? I'm not thinking like the house in the country with the pool and the tennis court, okay? I'm thinking of stuff that's praying in accordance to his will and his promises for you as a church. Think of the prophetic promises that you carry individually or that God's spoken to you as a church. Are you convinced he's able to do what he's promised? Are you convinced he's able to do more than you are asking him for? More than you can even imagine for this church and for Crawley? That's what these verses provoke us to think. Tom Wright says that actually what we need to understand is to really get a full grip of verse 20 and what he's actually saying. We need to get a full grip of chapters 1, 2, and 3 in their entirety. So listen, I'm going to do something a bit different this morning. I've not done this before, but I felt God say that I should do this this morning, okay? I'm going to read to you Ephesians in the way it would have been read to the church in Ephesus. What we tend to do when it comes to preaching is we pick a verse... And then we kind of dissect it and we look into it and that's not a bad thing to do. When this letter was written, it would have been read out loud to the church in Ephesus in one sitting. The church would have gathered. They would have thought, Paul has written to us. Paul, who started our church and spent all that time with us and laid the foundations, he sent us a letter. Church, gather in. Let's hear what Paul is saying to us. And I want to read chapters 1, 2, and 3 in their entirety so we get the sense of the flow of what Paul is saying when he gets to verse 20 and says, now to him who's able to do more that we can ask or imagine. So I reckon it's going to take me seven or eight minutes, okay? I think there is something powerful about the public reading of Scripture. I believe that. But it does mean I need to ask you to engage with this, to tune in, to follow in your Bibles, to imagine... Imagine the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Crawley Community Church and it's arrived and it's been read out for you. We believe this word is God-breathed. It's for us in every generation, don't we? So are you up for that this morning? I think it will help us get the flow of what Paul is saying. So here goes, chapter one. Follow along with me, please, if you have a Bible. Paul, he's introducing himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, stroke cruelty. The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I want you to know, church, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment and it's this it's to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you guys in cruelty You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Wow. I want you to know that that power that is available for you is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is good, isn't it? Chapter one, we're done. Wow. Are you ready for chapter two? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, because he loved us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions and sins, it is by grace you've been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that we can boast. No, we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So consequently, you're no longer foreigners. You're not aliens. You're not strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people and you're members of his household built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, Crawley Community Church, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirits. For this reason, I, 
Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, hang on a second, I need to say something else. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly, in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people. Apparently, just to interject there, Paul was a very short man. So they think that he's making a quib there actually at his height when he says, I'm less than the least of all Lord's people, as well as the fact that he was saved by the grace of God, not by his own efforts and his works. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Listen to this. His intent was that now through the church, through this church, through the church in Ephesus, the church in Crawley, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. And I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Isn't that an amazing part of the Bible? We read it in its entirety. God's intent is that through the church, his manifold wisdom has been made known. God has brought our lives together to form a new temple here through his church where he dwells by his spirit. You are far away. You are far away. You've been brought near. Through, through Christ's blood shed on the cross, nothing that you can do is if we can boast. No, no. It's all that he has done for us. It's by grace that you've been saved. You were dead in your sins. You've been gathered in now into the household of God. You're a citizen of the household of God now. This is all that he's saying. And then he's saying, now to him who is able to do all that we could ask or imagine. To him be the glory according to his power that is at work within us. Guys, you know, we simply cannot ask for things that are beyond God's ability to provide for. We cannot ask for things that are beyond God's ability to provide for. We cannot even imagine things that are beyond God's ability to answer. 
Our Father can do more than we could even ask. Think of all the things you've ever prayed for cruelty. And I know many of you have prayed for this church and for cruelty for many years. He is able to do far more than you have ever asked. Now think about all the things that you imagine for this church. While you're here, just for a moment, imagine what God may do through Cooley Community Church. Just imagine it. Then double it. And then triple it. And then realize there are no limits to what God is able, because he's able to do more than we can ask or even imagine, according to what? According to his power that is at work within us. We get to be part of this. It's what he's doing in us that will be somehow the answer to our prayers. He's able to do more than we can ask or imagine according to what he's doing within us. He can go beyond what you imagine. His imagination's bigger than yours, by the way. Does anyone know that? God imagined the creation. He imagined duck-billed platypuses. He imagined them. Who else would imagine one of them? That's, that's God's imagination. He is able to imagine far more than you can imagine for this church. And he's also able to do far more than you can imagine in your life, in your family, in cruelty, in this church. He's able to do it immeasurably more, it says. See that? Him who is able to do immeasurably more. That means abundantly more. Actually, the kind of correct translation is infinitely more. So infinite means there's no limits. So he is able to do infinitely more than you can ask him or that you can imagine that he can do. Infinitely more. There's not like a ceiling on God. There's not a limit where, it's like where he can go up to here and then he can go beyond that. He can do infinitely more than you can even ask or imagine. So when we've been praying, God, will you strengthen me in my inner man by your Holy Spirit over this weekend? God can do more than you can ask or imagine to know what that means. When we've been praying, God, will you strengthen me with power? He can do more than you ask or imagine that might look like. When we are praying, God, I want to know your love that surpasses knowledge. He can lead you into a revelation of love that is beyond your imagination or even that you can ask. When we pray, God, would you show us the hope to which we've been called and the riches of our glorious inheritance? He can do more than you can even ask at that mean, what that, imagine what that even looks like. This is who he is. It's not just that he is able, it's also that he's willing. He's a good God. Out of his glorious riches, he wants to strengthen you. He's abundant. He's generous. We need to get a scale of this, of what Paul is saying here. Immeasurably more, abundantly more, infinitely more. He's able to work beyond our prayers, beyond our thoughts, beyond our dreams. He's able to do it in you individually, within you as a church. The power that rose Christ from the grave and seated him in all authority is at work in you. Sometimes we don't feel like it, do we? What we need to do is align ourselves with truth because sometimes our feelings aren't always true. Who knows that? Sometimes our feelings aren't actually what's truth. What is true is actually what the word says is true. So what are you asking God for? Crawley Community Church. What are you asking him for? What are you imagining? When you begin to dream, what do you dream? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 for a moment. I just want to read a short story of two people's encounter with Jesus. And I think there's something here really significant for us as we think about the God who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through to 31. Jesus is walking along a road. And as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, 
Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them, see that no one knows about this. I always find those little lines interesting of Jesus. Two blind men have just been healed and their sight is restored. And it's like, don't let anyone know. It's like, what? But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Do you see what Jesus asked them? Verse 28. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Two blind men are following Jesus. They've heard of his reputation. Don't know much of their story. I guess probably because of the way that culture worked at that time. They're pretty destitute probably living in poverty, probably living on the edges of society, probably guys that have just known rejection over and over again, and they hear of one who's been called the son of David. Is he the promised Messiah that we've been longing for? And they hear that this Jesus is in the neighborhood, and, and there's, a, there's a noise, they hear it. They hear a noise of a crowd, and people are saying, he's here. Jesus, the son of David, is here. And as Jesus walks past them, they cry out, son of David, will you have mercy? I don't know whether they prayed in great faith or whether they prayed in desperation. It doesn't tell us, but they're crying out, Jesus, will you help us? And somehow, I guess they had some friends that helped them. They followed Jesus into a building and Jesus stopped and he asked them a question. Do you believe I'm able to do the thing that you're asking me to do? It's a really interesting question when we pray, isn't it? When we pray prayers... Just imagine Jesus is in front of you, and as you're asking him something, he's asking you something. Okay, do you believe I'm able to do it? So what are you asking him for this morning in prayer? What are you asking him for for Crawley Community Church and for this great city? I just loved Amy's word there. God's calling us to break ground. So do you believe Jesus is able to do that? Like when we pray, how are we praying? Are we praying like, well, I think I ought to pray this way, but I'm not sure I really believe it. I'm praying this thing because, well, I'm kind of praying in desperation, but will God answer? I don't actually know. When you pray prayers, imagine Jesus is standing in front of you saying, okay then, do you believe I'm able to do the thing that you're asking me for? We draw on God. Guess what? He's drawn on us. Is there faith there? Do you believe what you're asking me for? Do you believe I'm able to do even more than you can ask or imagine? Is helped me as I pray to really be thinking through, well, as I'm praying this thing, do I really believe that God is able to do what I'm asking him to do? Have I got faith for this? What does Jesus say? He says, according to your faith, let it be done to you, and the sight was restored. Jesus saw something in faith in the way they were praying. Yeah, I believe you're able. So praying is not just thinking, well, I'm going to pray it, and I'm not quite sure. Praying is saying, yes, Lord, I am persuaded that you are able to do immeasurably more than all that I can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. It's interesting, I think, as we get older, because um, life happens and become maybe a bit skeptical and there's disappointment and, and there's discouragement, we lose a little bit of faith. I love that video we just showed from our church. of um, It was children believing that Andy was going to get healed. 
it was children laying hands on him and 14 years of back pain goes. When I was, um, when my girls, one of my daughters is here this morning, but when they were younger, they believed I knew everything and could do anything as their dad. I can remember my girls asking me questions about anything, assuming that I'd have the answer because of what well, I'm their dad. As they've got older, they've realized actually, um, I don't quite know all the answers. I don't quite know how to do everything because I'm just a bloke like everyone else. But when my girls were younger, they believed I knew everything and I could do everything. Do you know, sometimes when we're young in our faith, we believe that God is able to do everything. And then as we get older in our faith, kind of because of disappointment and doubts and cynicism comes in and skepticism comes in. Now, my girls are rightly to believe that I don't know the answers to everything and I can't do everything because I'm just a man. But what can happen in the physical can actually happen in the spiritual, that children have faith to believe God can do everything because they just believe what the Bible says. It's simple for them. And so they pray for Andy and he's here. But as we get older in our faith, we begin to question, I don't know if God can do that, actually. Is he able to do that? Actually, I feel God's calling us to a simple faith that says, no, no, God, I believe you are able to do more than we can ask or even imagine. To come back to that simplicity of heart that says, yes, the Bible says he is able. I'm going to believe what the Bible says. So when we pray, how do we pray? Do we pray with assurance and confidence? Yes, he is able. Turn with me to Romans 4. One more just example, and then we're going to pray together. Romans chapter 4 tells us about um, Abraham. Abraham had a promise in God. It was a promise that he and his wife Sarah would have a, a family that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And it was a beautiful promise that through their family and his line, they're going to be a blessing to the nations. There's only one problem with this promise of God, is that they didn't have any children. And so there's the promise of God that says one thing, and the reality of their situation that says something very, very different. God's promised me a family that will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. I don't have any children. Sometimes we live in that gap, don't we? We live in the gap between God has said this, the reality of my situation looks very, very different to what God has said. Anyone know what that means? Anyone identify with the reality of that? I believe the promise of God but I'm looking at the situation of my life and it feels very, very different to that promise. So what do we do in that gap? Romans 4 helps us understand what Abraham did living in that gap. Against all hope, verse 18 of Romans chapter 4, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so he became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Here we have someone who's received a promise in God. You're going to be the father of many nations and yet he even faced the realities of his situation. He was 100 years old and he hadn't had a son. His, his wife was barren. It's like, hang on a second, here's the promise, but here's the reality. I love this because he's not living in naivety. On the, he's not saying, yeah, yeah, I'm 100, but really I'm 25. No, no, Abraham knew he was 100 years old. He knew it was impossible. He knew the gap between the promise and the reality of that promise. He faced the facts. It's not that we are naive in the, like our situations that we're in or live with a fake triumphalism. No, he faced the facts of the situation the question is, do we still believe the promise of God? 
and that he's able to do what he's promised. This weekend, there's been some amazing prophetic words over this church. And I know you're carrying amazing prophetic words. And it's like, here is the promise that God's spoken. Here is the reality of our situation. And there's a gap. Now, the challenge here is, what do I do with this gap? Well, the encouragement here is to not waver in unbelief, but to be fully persuaded that if God has said it, God will do it. It may not be in our timescales. It may not be in our ways. But God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And we live in gaps in our lives all the times between the promise of God and the reality of our situation. And in that gap, we have a choice whether we give in to doubt and disillusionment and skepticism or whether we say, no, in hope, I'm going to keep believing the promises of God because I believe he is able to do more than he can, we can even ask or imagine. And there's a gap that we live in. Guys, I believe, I really do believe God's got great plans for you as a church. I believe that this weekend has been significant. I do believe that. Not because of me or the team at Kings, because God's good and he's faithful. When he speaks, he doesn't speak like a liar. He's not like a man who makes things up. When he speaks, he speaks truth for a reason. We're talking about words about floods of his presence, about a line being crossed, about a dry and desert land becoming a place of a deluge of the floods of the Spirit. Now we've got a question, what do we do with that? We say, well, that's the promise of God. The reality sometimes feels a bit different. What do I do in the gap? Oh, to him who is able to do more than we can even ask or imagine. We hold on to the promises of God. I want to encourage you this morning, and we're going to pray and worship in a moment, to hold on to the promises of God, to not waver through unbelief, to be fully persuaded that God has power to do what he has promised. Maybe that is why Paul's primary prayer for the Ephesians was that they may know God better. Because when we know God better, we trust his promises more. Isn't that true? So bringing it back to Friday night where we began, Paul starts by saying, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come that you may know God more. I believe Abraham knew God. That's why he could live in the gap between the promise and the reality and not waver in unbelief. I believe Paul knew God. That's why he wrote these amazing things. He, he believed, he was persuaded, God will do what he's promised. He will do more than it because he knew God. That's why it's so important that we pray, continually pray, Spirit, Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation, will you come that we may know the Father better? Because when we know the Father, when we know his goodness, when we know his promises, when we know his truth, when we know his power, it's then we can say, yeah, I am persuaded. He is able to do more than we can even ask or imagine. These verses end up saying, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church forever." And ever, let me finish by just saying everything we've talked about this weekend is ultimately for his glory. <laughs> to him be the glory in his church. Why do we want to be strengthened with power? Ultimately, it's because we want God to be glorified on the earth. Why do we want to know more of his love? Because we want God to be glorified in our lives. Why do we want to know more of his hope and his riches? Because we want God to be glorified in how we live and what we put our hope in. We're living for the glory of God, aren't we? None of this ultimately is about us. It's all about the glory of God. He will 
be glorious on the nations as sure as the water covers the sea. That's what the Bible says. Everything we have been praying is that God would be glorified in his church through ordinary men and women like us. That's why we need to know him better. That's why we need to be strengthened with power. That's why we need to know who we are in Christ. That's why we need to know his love because ultimately God wants to be glorified in us, in our relationships in our gatherings, in our ministry, in the church, in cruelty, how will God be glorified through his church? That's what Paul is saying here. It's all for his glory. It's never for ours. It's never for our reputation or fame. It's always for his reputation and fame. I believe God's going to be glorified in this church in ways that you cannot even ask or imagine. Do you believe that with me? Do you believe that with me? Can we pray and then maybe we can just worship? Is that good? Fantastic. Guys, it's been such a privilege, genuinely a privilege to be with you and to look at these amazing words of Paul together. And um, all I've tried to do this weekend is just show you what it says. These aren't my ideas, they're his ideas. This is what God's truth says. Why don't we stand to our feet together? Let me pray for you as a church. Maybe right now, even as I pray, what is it that you're asking God for? In accordance with his will and purpose, what is it you're asking him for? For your own situation? Family, maybe? For this church? For this city? What is it you are imagining and dreaming of and long for in your hearts? Now to him who is able to do more than we can even ask or imagine. According to his great power that is at work within us, to him, to him alone, to him alone be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church forever and ever. We're living for your glory, Lord. That's why we want to lay our lives open. I'm amazed Jesus, that you want to dwell in my heart. I'm amazed that you want to take up residence in my life. But you do. You want to change me from the inside out. And Lord, I believe what what you want to do individually, you want to do corporately. You want to come take up permanent residence in this house. To dwell in this church. To transform it. To become the true body of Christ, reflecting who you are in every way to cruelty to break ground, to bring healing, to bring all the hallmarks of the kingdom of God, joy and righteousness and peace and patience and power. Lord, I pray that you would do more in this place than we could even ask or imagine. And where there's the gap between the promise and our experience, Lord, I pray we'd stand in that gap, not with cynicism or disbelief, but with great hope and with great faith, believing that you are able You alone are able to do what you have promised. So if you've promised, it will come to pass because you are a God of truth. Your word never returns empty. I pray for the promises over Crawley Community Church. I pray, Lord, I believe you're able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Lord, I believe it. I believe it. I'm not going to waver in unbelief. Lord God, I'm not going to waver through disbelief. I believe it because I believe you. Because I believe that you are good. And I believe that you are true. Be glorified, I pray, in this church, 
in this town, in this nation, we ask for your glory, God. Amen.